coming up, episode one of what we can only assume will be wildly popular and critically acclaimed. Of course. This is Verse Chorus Verse. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. This is our podcast for music nerds by us two music nerds. Uh, yeah. With me is the Boisean musical prodigy Sven Knutsen. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm David Liston. That's a, that's a gracious <laughs> introduction, musical prodigy. It's a lot of pressure if anybody ever goes and sees you play. <laughs> so, how have you been? You know, pretty fantastic, I guess. I think. Yeah. Given the season and given 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 what year it is, I, I say I, I'm feeling pretty all right for for where I am right now. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. So, for those of you that don't know, Verse Chorus Verse is a political podcast. That no, just just kidding. <laughs> you like um, that? We we last the whole ten seconds before diving into. We're not even going to get through the first intro of episode one. Oh well. But yeah, we are uh, grown up with kids now and. Just trying to enjoy music. Uh, this is Verse Course Verse, a podcast that Sven and I decided to start doing to get back into music, to remember albums, to learn new albums, all that great stuff. We're going to do a bunch of different stuff on this podcast. We're going to review albums. We're going to dissect bands. We're going to have musicians that are amazing and touring agents and musical theorists and everything that we can. We're going to dissect certain years in music and have jazz episodes and anything else that comes to our mind. Did I did I leave anything out? Sven? Yeah, you, you did. I'm really looking forward to, um, I don't know, eventually when we get around to Baby Shark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what episode we're, we're doing. <laughs> when you have two boys, your boy, because your boys are at what age? Yeah, uh, two and four. So, yeah, the baby shark thing, I guess, no joke, was for real for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the Frozen soundtrack is banned in our house. <laughs> it's banned. Yeah, yeah. Actually, my boys have not even seen those movies. I mean, nothing, nothing against the music. So I hear it's repetitive. It, um, they all are. Yeah. But yeah, we're just gonna bullshit about music that's what we're gonna do and i'll put out the disclaimer now we're we're not experts we don't claim to be this isn't a documentary this is a podcast of opinions from two guys that have just been obsessed with music since they were kids and that's really about it right that yeah yeah nailed it on the head i think i'll tell everybody that's listening thank you please download our episodes listen to our episodes go ahead and go to our website, versecoursefirst.com, so that they'll give you notifications when they pop up. Uh, most importantly, tell your buddies, your family members, your little children who need to hear our words and learn the lessons that we have to teach. Maybe don't tell your children, but <laughs> tell everybody else so that we can keep doing this because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. So Sven and I met because of music in high school. I don't remember exactly when we met. I know that it was related to jazz band, jazz choir. Jazz choir. Yeah, like it was it was school school music, but then on the side I think the fun stuff was really our, our the stuff we jammed on outside and the band that we eventually started and and gigged a little bit with. So I'll tell you I'll I'll tell you a little story about you actually influencing me 
And I think one of the, if I'm remembering correctly, it's all a little fuzzy because it's 700 years ago, but I had my eye on you musically about that time that you're talking about because there was this thing in school where they did some sort of assembly organized get parents to pay money sort of thing and it was a jazz band jazz choir combo thing uh-huh. and you were doing jazz band and i think i was just off it was the jazz band's time to go and the director comes up and he says okay so our next piece was actually written by one of our students and uh-huh. it's Sven Knudsen and Sven comes up and it's this whole entire song written by Sven. <laughs> yeah. And until that point, as a musician or whatever you want to call what you are when you're that age, I had never even thought of the fact that you could step outside your genre or the, you, you know, the age that you're limited to. I thought that being that I was from that era, I was supposed to be writing, you know, power chord songs not even yeah, it right. never even occurred to me that hey you you should you can write jazz songs or blues songs or classical and and so that actually had a pretty big impact it's kind of yeah. cool I, I actually remember that concert and huge shout out to some musical educators here i don't know like i, I this is one of those things i'm really passionate about and i'm not going to get on a soapbox but that like getting kids at a young age or early you know Getting them involved with music early, I think, is critical in developing their ears, uh, helping, I don't know, it, it's helped my life in so many ways, but I uh, had an incredible teacher that actually encouraged that, the, the jazz band teacher, Brent Jensen. Uh, he, Jensen, that's who it was, he, yeah. I started discovering folks like Sonny Rollins, John, you know, Coltrane, you know, being, yeah. being saxophone in that class, um, all these awesome saxophone players. And, and that was a phase when I was really into Sonny Rollins. So, yeah. uh, St. Thomas way, that kind of dun, 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 dun. So that kind of stuff, that, that kind of, I think that's the tune that is in that concert that you were just telling the story about. But you ended up being in, I was doing the jazz choir thing. You came into the jazz choir. That's kind of when we started doing music. And then we banded it up with Brent Berg and, and it was kind of a rotating kind of out from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a couple sax players, but John and Corey for a while. And then Carl, Carl came up on bass. I, but I still, besides gigging with Brent was amazing. But besides that, I think the most fun you and I ever had playing music was just jamming on acoustic guitars with a pack of cigarettes and a case of wine hearts and a, yeah. room and just in a bedroom or something yeah listening to like rage or something and i i just remember yeah. you were the first person that i didn't have to talk through a tune before we played it like you could just start playing and i knew where you were going i i feel like it was kind of a two-way thing like we were yeah. talking yep but with our instruments which i think is really cool i look for that when i when i pick stuff to listen to now it was fun we we matched very well so anyway that's that's Sven and I. We had a lot of really great times. We spent a lot of time together. We spent an entire summer together and then we just grew up. You you have kids, you move, you do all that stuff and and now we're back and we're going to talk about music all the time together. Yeah. Speaking of that, why why did you decide to do this podcast? Why what was it about this that that made you want to do it? So, I think 
at first I was kind of hesitant because I don't really see myself as someone. That it's just a big responsibility. Stuff, right? it, and, and yeah, it's a lot of stuff. And then what do I have to say? Like I'm, I'm good at listening to music and I'm good at playing music, but I've never really talked about music. Um, what really got me though was that I've always been a cherry picker, right? I've always, I, I get my favorite songs or you hear something on the radio or somebody plays a song for you. And then I like the song but don't necessarily get digging down into the album, right? So when I think about it, especially going into like that teenage high school, like the really influential years where you're developing your taste, I kind of stopped listening to albums, mostly I think because of the technology that was available, right? You had disc changers, then you could burn your own CDs. Make your own mixes. um, I I don't know, or even before that mix. Get rid of those shitty track nines. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of albums that I just never listened to and just got into the habit of not not listening to full albums. So this was like my calling. This was the, it was like a hey, yeah. an invitation to go back and and really dig into some of these things. What what got you cuz for those of you that don't know and I will you don't have to say it, I'm going to say it. Sven is an amazing fucking musician. He and he can pick up anything and and shred it. What got you into musicianship how what lit that fire in you i blame my mother i think really (laughs) it it starts there my mother was a a piano teacher so when i was three years old she decided this kid's learning piano and then i made some stupid comment at uh it was like a symphony concert when i was like four years old or five years old and and i pointed to a violin player and was like i want to do that and so she's like, all right, yeah. we're adding, we're adding violin. Sign me up for like violin lessons the, the, like that next week or something. So then I, now I had to take piano lessons and then violin <laughs> lessons. And this became a trend, right? Sixth grade, I, I thought saxophone was cool. So she signs me up for saxophone lessons. The thing is, I never got to give up an instrument. So it's like every time I added one, she's like, well, you still got to practice, you know, hour of piano, an hour of violin. Now you want to do saxophone. Your teacher says you need a half hour of that. You better make it an hour. Uh, so it, it was a lot of fighting, too. I mean, I, I, I fought it a lot. There was times I just wanted to go play with my friends. I want to be a kid. Yeah. And it was like, no, Saturday morning, you get up, you got three hours of music rehearsal. Yeah. It's tough, man. I pretty much have a studio, but it's behind the wall behind me. So in another room, I, I kind of have leave everything set up so I can just play. It's also my office, right? So I, I do video production. I'm an editor um, as my day job. So a lot of times it's like the, the time that I get to play music is when, okay, I need a break. I'm waiting for a video to render or I'm, it's my lunch break. Sit down at the drum kit, throw on a track and drum to it. Or, you know, my guitar, my guitar is always plugged in amp right there. Just get up and just play around. Um, every now and then it's really cool. The job I have right now, a lot of what I do is produce music videos. A lot of times, um, I get to actually add in some production. I get to add in some extra instruments, extra voices. So I do a little bit of singing, a little bit of just adding in just color, things like that. So I get to, I get to do a little bit of that too. But as far when as you do, like you have, you have stuff on Spotify, you have stuff I on... Do. I do. That was kind of so, you know, pandemic hit. I was working at a convention center. Uh, which was not really a popular thing to do yeah. when you're in quarantine with a COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. yeah, you can't get hundreds of people or thousands of people together. So not a lot a of lot conventions of, going on. No, yeah, so nothing's going on. We're shut down. I had time on my hands, and I and it, it's weird. If you go and listen to me on Spotify, I think there's some stuff on there that's really weird because I, I attempted. I thought, 
pop music's not hard. I can do this. <laughs> I, I can play jazz. So I can play pop music. And I will tell you this. Like, one thing I learned from that experience, it is fucking, in, it's insane. The amount of work that goes into a pop record. Production. Like, it doesn't it's matter. It's crazy. You, you know, you, get the, you can get an awesome singer out there, and it's still so much work. Uh, and then you're still producing instrumentals and all that stuff on it. So I gave it an attempt as a one-man show, which I don't recommend for anyone that is trying to if you're going to self-produce that is cool like i i really support independent artists independent bands do that record yourself put your vision into it but that last stage when it's time to to do the final mix down and master send it to somebody to master because it takes a fresh set of ears like as that was what you listen to the stuff i i'm still not happy with a lot of the stuff i hear uh, of my my recordings even though i released I mean, them we're never we're never happy with our own stuff right we, we never are, and also we have biases. We hear what we want, and you don't trust your ears as much as you should. Yeah, so you've definitely kept up with the music. I have not. I I got really into it for a while there, and then I had kind of a, I don't know, some sort of musical mental breakdown where I got to where I was actually getting to record some stuff, and that ended badly, so I, I went through the whole bash my instruments and sell my guitar pedals and and just completely just threw it all away uh and i just now started doing music again and i think this is the perfect way to just be an appreciator for a while and just remember the the albums do you have how do you listen to them do you have specific traditions do you have specific ways you Uh. listen to them do you when I give you an album to listen to for a week, do you have something specific you do or do you just kind of, whenever you can, you put it on? It's kind of, there's several things that happen. I think just like most people, it just, part of my music listening is just part of daily life, right? Your commute, when you're driving, or just, I, music's always playing in the house. Like it, Every room you walk into, there's there's music playing. So I'll call that passive listening, right? So it's just on. It has to become part of that because it just, it, it helps. It, it seeps in, even though I'm not focused, you know. But when I really want to dig down into something, um, I've become a headphone listener. Yeah. Uh, mainly because of the kids. The time that I have to, to really, like, sit down with no interruptions and absorb something and really, really soak it all in is like nighttime kids are in bed i can't i can't crank up the speakers things like that so i've become a headphone listener well and you can't turn on like you know kendrick lamar with your kids in the same room because yeah. then you have to explain to them what certain words are and you're screwed you, yeah so <laughs> i'm not good at explaining that i'm not good at explaining <laughs> that shit either so um but i've gotten used to the headphone thing and in some ways, I can hear a lot of things better with the headphones, right? So you're using the Sony Studios, aren't you? Freaking love those <laughs> headphones. Those headphones, the, I, the I had those. I had those forever, and they're like an old make. They've lasted what 25 years, and they're still the best headphones yeah. on the market. And they, you can still buy them, and they're actually really inexpensive. I don't know what they're going for on Amazon right now, but it's a it's under a hundred bucks. It's and they're they're good. They're flat. So there, there's no, there's not a lot of bias. It doesn't add a lot of bass or add a lot of mm-hmm. trouble. Verse course first podcast yeah. sponsored by Sony. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we, we got our ad in. What about you? I have pretty specific ways I listen. I, I make sure that I listen to both the albums that we have for that week when I'm 
jogging because I do a lot of jogging in the mornings. That's kind of my that's how I get out of the house and a little bit of me time. And then typically it's Friday nights where I will you pour yourself a whiskey and sit down by the record player. You can listen to an album a hundred times, but until you sit down with it in a nice, comfortable room that you are comfortable in and you turn that vinyl on, it's different. It's just different. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. So uh, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of what we're going to do in these episodes. This is going to be the structure for most of our episodes, which is that I will give Sven an album that I've always really loved and that he's never really soaked in. And then he will give me one and we both listen to it for a week, week and a half or whatever. And then we just review it. You know, there's really no bullshit. We we can study up on the facts of it. Really, we can do anything we want on the review. It's up to us. We can we can I can come to him on this episode and say, Thanks for this shitty album. Or I can come to him and say, Hey man, this is this is awesome. It's now in my uh mix. So that's basically that is the rundown of most of what our episodes are gonna be. I'd say probably sixty percent of them. This week, being that it is episode one, Ooh. we did something special. We decided that we were gonna do a classic album. So we gave each other albums. We gave each other a few options. Uh, there were a couple albums on there that I think is exactly what we were going for, which is that albums that people like us definitely should have listened to before that we haven't. I, along with Sven, we've had this conversation when we, we are vinyl shoppers, we get the albums when we can. For bands like this, it doesn't matter. But it, when we're doing indie bands and stuff like that, if any of them ever see this, we, we try as best we can to buy your albums. It's not, we're not just elitist people reviewing these things we're paying customers so we deserve the right to talk shit about your music absolutely (laughs) but it's also you know when you're buying vinyl you're not just helping the artist you're helping the store you're helping because that's the last thing we need is for covid to shut down record stores get visit your local record shop man like here in boise i don't know it's just record exchange shout out to record exchange here the record exchange is still and i i live in vancouver which is the which is next door to portland and i'm t- the record exchange is the best record store i've ever been to in my life seriously it's, it's amazing. Nuts. It's great. And the people there are fucking... Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, there's some really great people that are really knowledgeable about music. Yep. Verse Chorus Verse sponsored by the Record Exchange. We're, we've got a lot of sponsors. That's our, our plug. A lot of ads <laughs> on this show. Sorry, but... They don't you know, know that yet? We got, yeah, we got to make our cheddar. <laughs> so, Sven, I am going to spring this on you now because I have a very strong opinion about this, and I'm not sure if you do. But when we dis- when we start dissecting bands, I want to know what you think. Do live albums count? I've been wondering the exact same question. <laughs> um, and I'm very mixed on this subject because there are some bands. Um, I don't know if we're dropping names right now, but there's some bands yeah, that I will away. only listen to their live. Really? I mean, okay. Like who- well, oh, dude. No, yeah. now you got to tell me because this that's fascinating. A fucking Dave Matthews band. You'll only like, listen I, I, to their I'll, live albums? 
Yeah. Whoa. Like Under the Table and Dreaming. I have never listened to the entire Under the Table and Dreaming album. Verse, chorus, but, verse, hot take right? of the night. Verse, chorus, verse, hot take. <laughs> On repeat forever. Like live at Red Rocks. There's some bands like like Fish. Fish is, an, I think it's jam bands. I'll say it. I think it's probably jam bands. You could probably, every band that I would name, the, the improvisation aspect and just the energy of the crowd and the fact that every time they play a song, it's slightly different when it's live yeah. you know from concert to concert venue to venue so i get really into those and i really love the bands that that are cool about letting people pull a mix right off their board yeah. you know like you know i was hanging out with my uncle steve a uh, shout out uncle steve coolest thing he went and saw mark Knopfler here uh like a year or two ago mark Knopfler takes a thumb drive from each show, after each show, he records them onto thumb drives and then he sells the thumb drives. So cool. you can walk away with a thumb drive with your concert on it. Best idea. Mark Knopfler. Yeah. yeah. Props to Mark Knopfler. That is awesome. <laughs> Guy's amazing. I love, that. I, love, I love it when people come with ideas like that because I think for me, the best part of music is the live aspect. It's just too perfect. A lot of times, because that's what we, as creators, we want to make something perfect that we're going to put out into the world. And I think that sometimes that, even though it's perfect to me, it's not what I want to, I don't want to, I don't want the perfection. I want to hear the, the F ups yeah. and I want to hear the, oh, I just got this idea in my brain. Let's see who else in the band picks up on it and reacts to it. Um, so yeah, there's some bands I only listen to live, but I totally get that. Like, is that really an album? Is it to me like, you know, an album is kind of, it's not just a collection of songs. So yeah, I, it's a beautiful sentiment. I love everything that you said. I don't think live albums count at all. I, okay. I think they have their time and place. They're great, <laughs> but I am totally not down with live albums. Obviously there's concerts that I think are awesome and I will, I'll totally put on a live album every now and then and, and get that feel. But I will take a studio album over a live album any day, and for the hands thought, down, like across the board, any band, any the exceptions board. to that? Wow, nope. Okay. Nope. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I'd rather hear Trey's studio work. Wow. Honestly, so different, you and I. Well, I'm glad we know where we stand there. Let's go ahead and get into this. I think. Do you want to flip a coin? You want me to just go first this was, time? I was, well, I was just checking the notes to see if you, you, you specified. <laughs> I literally, in the notes, I literally say, no, what I say in the notes is flip a coin, not really, not, not really. literally, but we need to figure <laughs> out who goes first. And we didn't do that. So verse, chorus, verse, a well-planned out podcast where we don't talk about who's going to do the first review. Let's do it. We Before we get into that, though, we got to talk about the most important part of this this whole shebang which is what are we drinking tonight? What are Wait, you? What did I finish drinking? Because tonight? anybody that is a music listener knows that you can't listen to this any of this without having a good drink in your hand. If in, unless you're an alcoholic, in which case I take that back. Good job drinking your club soda. Please keep listening. Ignore the next two minutes when we talk about how great music is when you have alcohol in your system uh so what what are you drinking tonight actually i need a refill um i've been on a bourbon bourbon kick lately so tonight i have Looks some like woodford uh, woodford woodford reserve yeah. woodford reserve. Right. 
not not a huge like scotch fan i don't know something something about bourbon really lately has been getting me bourbon and beer i'm a huge supporter of craft beer especially beer that is within you know like 100 miles of where you live yeah so there's some awesome breweries all around this country so it doesn't matter you don't have an excuse to not drink local because i don't know there, there's some delicious yeah. ales so i you've also even, have you even got your 10 barrel hat I got on 10, right now which is so. an oregon brewery but they they actually have yeah. a, a brewery set yeah. up right here in boise oh they know they know how to market they know They're how to market it. they know how to market but i'm also drinking a I, I'm just, we got to get sponsors or something here. This is a payette. It's oh, we will. Payette, payette brewing. Sofa King Sunny. It's a hazy IPA. I am drinking, well, we're going to take a break and I'm going to get another one. I'm drinking whiskey sours tonight. What's your whiskey though? I'm uh, Buffalo Trace. Oh. I'm a big Buffalo Trace guy, especially in whiskey sours because yeah. it really, it helps with the sweetness, yeah. but I just do a two ounce of the Buffalo trace. I do a uh, half an ounce. Actually I made pomegranate simple syrup. It's really, really good, Damn. but it is the biggest pain in the ass. So I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then just some lemon juice bitters. And I do the, uh, the, that's, that's another big question. Do you do the egg white in the whiskey sour? Because I absolutely have to have the egg white in the whiskey sour. Yeah. I, I fully support. I, I think if you're going to do it, you got to do it. Um, I know some it's, people are creeped out that a guy. by egg white, but I, I, I didn't give you my texture. drink recipe. It, two, two, two cubes of ice. <laughs> and, and two fingers of bourbon. I like it. <laughs> and then, oh, and the bitters. I use the Angostola bitters. And I also, I use rhubarb bitters, which a bartender in Australia huh. taught me about. And man, that changes a whiskey sour. So any of you out there, go find some rhubarb bitters. Put that shit in your like whiskey rhubarb. sour. Because I grow rhubarb, right? You, they sell it at, or do you, are you making rhubarb bitters? Like, oh no, no, no! I I'm not that much of a hipster. I can't make my own bitters. No. <laughs> I didn't know. It's, before we're gonna take a break because I'm gonna need to get another drink. Before we do that, I do have something that I'm going to partake in, which is kind of hidden here. But I do. I decided for episode one, oh. I need to take a nice, cool drink of some Hennessy. I typically only do this once a year, but this is pretty, this is a special moment. I'm going to take a little swig of Hennessy. Uh, Spend, I would suggest you take a little swig of your Woodford. Oh, we're going from the bottle? You're just doing straight, like, just like, is that the, I got to be cool then. I got to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, man. Be. Got to be like David. Be a man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So cheers to episode one and we'll take a break and then we'll, we'll be back. Cheers. So we're we're back for this week's album. I gave Svend Kid A by Radiohead. Before each episode, we're going to guess what each other's favorite song on the album was. I actually thought about this really hard and there was another one that I really, really wanted to pick, Uh um, but I thought it might be kind of egotistical because it's my favorite so i instead i chose how to disappear completely Ah, all right well let me i guess let me dive right in um i will be the first to say i am definitely not a radiohead expert in any way shape or form my and and part of the reason that i really really 
was excited to review this album was because I think I'm more familiar with Radiohead from the 90s, right? So Kid A came out in 2000. It, it came out right at that millennium. Yeah. Um, and if yeah. I had to title this review, I would title this review something like, I thought I was listening to a Radiohead album. <laughs> what the? Because f- okay, I, I mean, if if I'm just gonna give a, a complete honest overview here, right? Because I'm used to Radiohead from the '90s. That's what I think of. I think of like you know, like Creep. Yeah, uh, you know, like it, it's Karma it sounds Police. like a band. Yeah, Car- yeah, exactly. Like something mm-hmm. I might even play in, like uh, that kind of music, right? And I think that's probably why I didn't listen to the whole album. And, and there's there's definitely songs on the album, and I'll get to that in my review here as we get down that that I was already familiar with. Anyway, jumping right in with with track one, right? I I think this was a really interesting way to start an album because especially giving the departure that they're about to make from what up until this album had been their sound. I think this is a pretty significant change in Radiohead. Yeah. Again, I'm not, I'm not the Radiohead expert, but as someone no, just picking was. up the sound, it was, was. Yeah, I was very opinionated about electronic music or, or the use of electronic effects and things that weren't analog. What I do like, they open up the album track one, everything in its right place. I think it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek title, first of all, because it did not feel like everything was in its right place for Radiohead. Um, the whole thing is in 10-4. The time signature itself is not in the right place. Like, it's mm-hmm. not that, you know, it's it's got this weird time signature. It took me a while to figure out that it was in 10 because I kept trying to count it in 5. Which is insane because it does have a backbeat through the whole thing. It that's does, just going yes. to cut, 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 but it's so not a four four it's crazy yeah, yeah. yeah and i love that and i and i almost think that's intentional and and it, it kind of plays with the title maybe maybe not i think that was kind of intentional uh offsetting the time or, or making it kind of a off time time signature but the, those opening chords played on like it, it's almost like a fender Rhodes kind of electronic keys but but yeah. not really like a fender Rhodes maybe mm-hmm. I love the instrument. I love the sound that he picked for the opening chords. I do too. And I those those opening chords are fantastic. Yeah. And even though this album's been out for I mean 20 years and Radiohead is what it is and has been for 20 years, they've progressed, they've evolved. I think this is I don't know. It was mm-hmm. it was a nice way to ease into it and really kind of slid into Kid A track two right pretty pretty nicely i think it got bouncier the drum part kind of like that syncopated yeah the, the yeah the beats that syncopated drum thing almost reminded me of like a, whatever whatever drum beat they got out of whatever they were using is such a smooth yeah. amazing beat i don't know how they got that bass drum sound to sound like that it's yeah. crazy good well and, and, and like the the rhythm it was playing kind of reminded me of like um that old like glenn miller swing or like gene krupa that that swing that swing song like the big band that sing yeah exactly so as a jazz that spoke to the jazz musician inside me and i appreciated that we finally we brought it back to four four time i don't know why i love weird time signatures but I just feel like for a rock band, I don't know. I, I still want to. Sometimes somebody... it feels like they're doing it just to do it. Yeah. 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 So I appreciated that they dove back into the four, four 
I, I, I don't know that I have too much more to say about Kid A, but... The only other thing that I really like about that track is when the kind of the more stereotypical bass mm-hmm. kicks in. Just a bass doing a, like two notes, just like a do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's... I love that. Which it's, sets up the awesome. next track, right? Mm-hmm. It set, yes. I felt like it, it kind of sets up National Anthem, the National Anthem, like that fuzzy bass, um, and it like builds and builds mm-hmm. and builds. I really love the way that it progresses because it kind of it has like a shape to it, right? And then like when it finally gets to that chaotic, brassy trumpets yeah. and all sorts of just like a whirlwind of noise like i love stuff like that actually and to me that kind of felt a little a little bit more like maybe what i was used to for radiohead um not exactly oh absolutely like their, that's their, you know? that song is that song could have come off of okay computer yeah. like maybe with the with the exception of the end yeah yeah, yeah. totally so i I mean, I totally, there was some like weird vocoder effect he had going on that I thought was pretty cool. I mean, it's so I'm sure that you don't because, because you have kids and uh, I'm sure that our parents are probably going to listen to this and oh, they uh, know everything I've done. Uh, maybe even uncle here or two or something like that. All I would say was that sort of stuff. Let's say that you're the type of person that might someday partake in some sort of you know, psilocybin <laughs> I, I wish I, I wish you know it, it, on that same note I wish that I really probably would have been more into this album in 2000 because I I would have been far more <laughs> yeah. that was yes I I definitely I I see that I, I don't care if it's a cliche but Kid A to me is up there with Dark Side of the Moon Ooh, for wow songs that maybe you might want to be on something for listening to it. Wow, if you're going to compare it to Dark Side of the Moon, I feel like now at some point I need to travel somewhere where <laughs> I can safely, legally experiment with that. Don't do drugs, kids. They're bad. Don't, yeah, don't. Drugs are bad, okay? Yep. <laughs> um, I kind of want to jump over to track four, though, How to Disappear Completely, because I thought it was really interesting. Which that's the I, one that I yeah. called thinking that I might thought that be was, your and favorite I'm, And I'm not going to, I'm not going to confirm or deny that at this point, but I thought it was really interesting that you picked that as my favorite because I actually spent a lot of time. I mean, I listened to the whole album several times. Yeah. That was yeah. one of the songs, one of the tracks I kept going back to over and over and over the whole, I'm not here. Yeah. This isn't happening. There's so much going on in that oh, song. Yeah. Yeah. But Tom's, Tom's vocals I've always felt are kind of timid and mm-hmm. delicate. Very. Right. Even when he gets loud, even when he's singing full voice, he has this very—I I don't know other uh, other than delicate. I don't know another word for it. Even though that's—I don't feel like that really describes it. But that's the closest I can get. Um, and and how to disappear completely? Maybe it's just the timing too, because of the weird year that we've had. You know, there's so many times that I've felt those lyrics running through my head, like. Mm-hmm. This is not happening. I'm totally not seeing this. I'm not here. So something really heavy weighed. So a little bit, of, a little bit of lore behind that is he got those lyrics, not got them, but he got the idea from Michael Stipe. the The lore behind Kid A is fascinating because the Radiohead just got done with OK Computer, which was immediately considered one of the best albums of all time. Right. And they toured on it for two straight years. I mean, I can't really remember at that point a rock band coming out with an album that was held in such high... It's like coming out with fucking Revolver 
and people immediately it, it's like being back to being a beetle or something which has to be exhausting right for the band and and so intimidating yeah could you imagine okay you're done touring for that best album ever that you just did now come out with another right. one please and they completely had a a meltdown and bought some cabin and bought brand new instruments that they didn't know how to play and then completely decided to just learn and that supposedly that lyric came from Michael Stipe who when he was talking to him huh. during that whole okay computer breakdown was saying that sometimes you just gotta fade yourself out of your reality huh like that backstory makes the album register a little bit more for me I think it it, it yeah ties up some loose ends I think in my mind and especially this track I can kind of see how this would come out of something like that I guess musically going back into the the sounds and and things like I I really love that floaty strings kind of going yeah um like the the acoustic guitar and some bass and then like dissonant kind of tension in the synthesizers or something and almost like horror film orchestral stuff yes. going on in the background. Yes, I think yeah. slippery. Slippery is the word that I want to use. Like that really that really reached out and grabbed my attention, I think. I love and this is kind of funny because it's it's a title of a track. I love motion picture soundtracks. <laughs> I love listening to horror film soundtracks or or just things that are written for movies and this had a quality, I think, that was that was similar. You know what I think? I think subconsciously I decided this was your favorite song because subconsciously I still think of you as a bass player okay. for a band that I'm in. And this was the first song on the album where the bass really carries the song. That kind of calming uh-huh. bass line, it's, it completely carries it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely see how, how, how you would come to that conclusion. I, I think the musicality on this song really hit all of the points that I kind of do look for, I think in something that I'm, that I enjoy um, moving yeah. into tree fingers. This kind of carries some of the weird horror ominous, like the ominous strings that start tree fingers. Like you, you're waiting and then it slowly starts brightening, right? It kind of starts out a little bit, not completely horrible, but dark a little bit. And it starts brightening. I feel like uh, the chords start mm-hmm. changing um, and it kind of cycles back and forth between like something kind of dark and minor and then something a little bit bright and then something a little bit, it played a lot with my musical emotion. And I, I think Radiohead's really good at that in general. Tom especially is really good. It's very much more of a soundscape than yes. a song. Yes. It yeah. took me between two emotions back and forth. And that's, that's one thing that I'll give to some, to the Radiohead haters is Radiohead does have this ability to just throw a soundscape into an album where I can totally see somebody being like, what the fuck is this? Like, what am I? I want someone to count this for me because I I don't know what fucking time signature it was. Like every time (laughs) I think I'd have it, I'm wrong. So if somebody knows comment or something, I don't know, like down in the comments section or something, I want to know what time signature this is in. Cause I, I think I even tried to research and I don't think it's listed anywhere. Let's call it a soundscape because somebody email us. Somebody email us. Somebody reach out to us. DM us. Website. Yeah. Now, (laughs) this precedes the track that for me is the track on the album that feels like the radiohead I'm used to, right? You move into optimistic. 
And to yep. me, this is comfortable Radiohead territory for me again. It's not the new Radiohead. I'm kind of doing this review yeah. as if as if this is 20 years ago, I guess, in, in my head. As if, well, I think that, and that's how most people do it is, is it's half and half. I think a lot of people after OK Computer, that was, that was kind of it. You right. Know? And I, I, yeah, I think had I not heard any other Radiohead and, and had this been a brand new album that I, if, if you didn't tell me who this was and just started playing the album, this review might go completely different. I think I'm bringing a lot of my own. I usually get one of two things when I'm talking about Radiohead. And one of the things that I get often, and it's legit, is that, yeah, Radiohead's a great band, but they're so goddamn depressing <laughs> that I can't, they can't be a band in my life because it's just going to make me want to lay in bed all freaking day. And then the other thing is, it's weird because I know, I know that Radiohead is one of the most popular bands of all time. But I don't know Radiohead fans. I know that they have this big, huge cult following. And I know that there are these radio, wiki Radiohead and all that stuff. But I don't know a lot of huge Radiohead fans. And I honestly, I kind of like it that way. I don't, there's a lot of Radiohead fans tend to be the whole, you know, oh, well, you just don't get Tom York, you know, oh, you just don't understand what they're trying to do, which no, screw that. If, if I'm the only person that likes radiohead in my circle great that's it gets to be my private thing i'm fine with that kid a is one of my favorite albums of all time it's it's probably in like my top 25 albums of all time and it is it might be my third favorite radiohead album so third favorite then then you gotta list one and two we're gonna have to do a dissect radiohead or or save that for another because my number one favorite radiohead album is very controversial. Okay. So I want to wait until we get more popular. Okay. Because I want I want everybody to tell me what an idiot I am. I, I, okay. I, I love that. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I think where the impact that this album came in on was streaming content. This was uh-huh. Radiohead was owned by Capitol Records. This was kind of when Napster was the big thing, and bands like Metallica were flipping oh. out because people were quote unquote stealing their shit. And this, the producer, not well, the person working for Capital, I wrote her name down. It's uh, Robin Bechtel. She said, screw that. We're going to put this everywhere online. We're going to make sure that it's on Napster. We're going to make it every, we want everybody stealing this album and listening because she saw the future. She saw that if that happens, this is Radiohead's follow up to OK Computer. This is going to be mass. This is going to sell so much for the next 50 yeah. years. So it's I think it had a huge, huge impact, but not in more of a yeah, distribution and marketing way than it I, did in a I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I think that was smart. Yeah. It was it was different for Radiohead, but it wasn't different in like the the music scene, right? Other bands had been doing this stuff. And honestly, other bands had been doing this stuff better. Yeah. But one of the things that I like about this album, and we can get into that too, is that I love the fact that they bought all these new synths and all this new stuff that they had never worked with and basically basically learning how yeah. to play an A chord so that they could create. And to me, that's one of the things that makes this album amazing is because you are listening to somebody try to figure out how to make 
the yeah. songs that are on yeah. this album. Yeah, having having heard the story you just told about Kid A, and they just scrapped everything, started over with all these. New, I have a whole new. I kind of wish I knew that before I started listening for this review because it, it puts <laughs> a lot of things in a new perspective. It really goes to show how much the mentality changes yeah. how you hear an album, right? It does. You're going to throw that whole thing out the window and start from scratch, right? Because they could have come out with another OK Computer and it would have been, oh, yeah. you know, oh, this is the best band of all time. Done. Yeah. 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 I love the fact that it's an, it's, it's an experiment for the artist as well as the listener. Because up until this point, my perspective was that it's just, it's an experiment for the listener. But no. No, this is brand new to yeah. them as well. So I guess, I, yeah, so we were unoptimistic. I, I love the way they end it with that kind of light. Everything mellows out, drops down, mm-hmm. um, kind of clears open. They have this like little light jammy kind of, I don't know, I just call it a light jam at the end there. And then going to In Limbo, holy shit. So I've been, this is one of the fu- the, the fun little things for me, this whole album was was trying to figure out time signatures. And, and though they, they kept a lot of 4-4 in there, like, you know, they opened up with 10-4 in, in their first track, um, Everything is Rice Play. So here we go with, with some, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. 6-4 <laughs> arpeggios. They have, like, this, like, I don't know, like, arpeggiating chords over, yeah. like, a 4-4 drum beat. So it's like polyrhythm going on. And I love shit like that. That's what I love about. Yeah. Well, there's lots of genres of music that, that regularly incorporate that, like Latin music and things like that. But I don't know. Anytime I hear that show up in either a pop tune or a rock tune, um, it grabs my attention. So I think and that that really adds to the limbo feeling, right? That kind of uneasy. Mm-hmm. You you feel like you're in limbo. It definitely lives up to the title. It's kind of like this this. I don't know. Yeah. You don't have a nice place to just sit and groove. You don't. And that's kind of part of the thing is I think I feel like they did it on purpose because this really was a song where Tom has he said it in an interview where uh, it's it's supposed to be literally you're in limbo. You're not landing anywhere. Yeah. It's a positive for me. I mean, I kind of like that. Not knowing that that limbo feeling. I think it it fits well, I think, Mm. in the album where it sits just past the halfway point kind of just breaks things up a little bit gives it gives the rest of the album somewhere to go right yeah that's kind of what i what i what i'm learning to appreciate about albums is that story that it can tell if if a band which i think radiohead definitely did on this doesn't just grab a bunch of songs they thought through or maybe it was all tom i didn't i don't know how that dynamic works within the band i'm that's this is again one of those like i'm not a radiohead I, I, I don't either, and I think anybody that says that they do know is full of shit. They probably are. I don't think anybody knows how that band works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it breaks up the album really well. What I think is really funny, though, is that instead of resolving it and giving you something that's like a solid just backbeat 4-4 to follow it up to make you feel at ease, they go into... Idiotech, right? Which mm-hmm. is like glitchy and it's 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 a little more rhythmic and a little more like easy rhythm, but it's just it just sounds like uh like my computer's fucking exploding or something. I don't know. You're spot on because supposedly what happened was the drummer was messing with this specific type of drum machine and he came up with this two hour or maybe an hour, I don't remember exactly, segment of a drum beat that was just sporadic and crazy and he gave it to tom 
And Tom listened to it and he was like, what the hell is this? But then all of a sudden, like minute 47, he heard the Idiotech beat and he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And so they just made a song. Well, it's nuts. And I think I think the way that they layered the song up was really interesting, too, because they've used a lot of like spacey kind of echoey reverby kind of effects like that seems like very radioheadish right to have like very. spacey echoey kind of absolutely and in contrast to that his vocal chain was super dry there's not a lot of reverb not a lot of delay there's not a lot of anything and it's like this the super processed drum track thing with this clean dry vocal i don't know I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I like it, but it almost continues a limbo-esque feeling for me in the way that it was produced. So not so much musically, but as far as like the production options, like the direction they took with the how they produced the vocals and everything else on the track. Yeah. Just seemed different to me, I guess. And then going into Morning Bell, I love the fact that they didn't, stick to four four going into like i think it was a five count five four yeah. groove sticking yep. with the dry vocals again i think i remember just thinking that too like okay is the rest out of the album just gonna be vocals with very little effects now like electronic piano i don't know if it's a Rhodes or some kind of like electronic piano chords mm-hmm. i don't know i don't i don't know that i spent that much time that on gorgeous Bell. space going through that song too this is another one of the songs on this album. And maybe that's just what does it for me on the Pacific songs that I really, really, really love on this album is the bass player just found a way in these super weird fucking songs to make these amazing bass lines. Yeah. They're yeah. just killer. Yeah. Okay. As somebody that's, that's played bass, I've never played on anything this like eclectic. <laughs> this weird. This weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've I've been dying to get into motion picture soundtrack, I think. So I feel like I've kind of rushed us into it, but I, I, we're kind of there. Um, no, we're there. We're there. I I really have been into movie soundtracks lately. Um, it doesn't matter who the composer is. It could be John Williams. It can be Zimmerman. It could be Danny Elfman. Actually, you know, you want to know what's funny? Huh. Is we're actually, we're going to talk about Danny Elfman on episode two. Teaser. I am going to tie in the band that you gave me to review on episode two to Danny Elfman. Oh, so there you go. I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait. Anyway, sorry. Motion picture soundtrack, this track, the, the opening right there. Um, there's something about it that brings me back to, I feel like I was 15 years old again. It's that organ that I don't know if it's like one of those old hand pump organs, you know, you see like that sound takes me back something about that. It doesn't matter. You could play anything on that instrument and it will grab me and wrap me in this nostalgia blanket. This is just such a blatantly beautiful. Oh fuck. It's heartbreaking. It's yeah. Amazing song. It again, like I talk about Tom's, vocals being kind of like that timid and delicate i think this really it really comes out in this one it builds though and it builds these cool like the little harp glissandos like parts that you know you hear like it's just the the ringing um then you have like this opera yeah the moaning operatic yeah yeah like that high kind of it's kind of in the it's it's in the back of the mix but it's enough that it it kind of wraps everything around I hate to say that you were wrong, but I'm going to say that this actually was 
my favorite your song favorite on the song. track. It's now com- that we're here. Completely understandable. And partially because it's the way they chose to end the album. It seems like it wraps several genres that I really appreciate all together into something that still sounds like Radiohead. It does. It does for me too. And even the lyrics, there's there's something about the hearing him do the, the I think you're crazy, maybe just a freaking heartbreaking, beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, like it tugs at some heartstrings. It definitely, if music is supposed to inspire emotion and move you, this was a good way to wrap up the album. It kind of tucked it in. Absolutely. And I love that, and I don't know, so on vinyl, this doesn't really translate. I don't know if it's a separate track uh, if you get like a CD or if you're streaming it's a hidden. It. So originally it was a hidden track. Old school, like a minute down the line. That a, to me is what really, that when I say it yeah. tucked it in, it was beautiful. <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it. It kind of took everything, all of the things that, the, the journey I went through listening to this album, I don't know, it wrapped up really nicely. I think honestly, weird. The hidden track was probably my favorite. No shit. In, in really, reality, the real actual song. That ending chord, wow. just, just like the that the way it just I don't know. That's that's amazing. All right, we're now we're gonna do a thing. This is gonna happen for all of the albums, where we are going to do some category slash awards. Uh, we're gonna start this off every time with some bad reviews. So what I've done <laughs> is I've I've scoured the internet. Which, what we talked about before for Kid A was freaking hard because I'm telling you, people swiped their shit. People were, 10 years later, people were like, oh, I do not want to be the guy that gave Kid A a one out of five stars uh, because they all did. But it was, the, it was, it was this weird in between electro rock thing that made a lot of people mad. It made a lot of the, techno i don't know back then if it was house or techno or what it made a lot of them pissed off a lot of like the apex twins guys pissed off and then it made the okay computer guys pissed off and it so yeah in fact there was one i found in an article they even said that this review was deleted and it was from brit pop mag and the the whole review was one sentence and it was what do they want for sounding like Aphex Twins circa 1993, a metal? Damn. And that was it. That was Damn. a review. I'm going to give props, too, because there were people that gave this really good reviews. Pitchfork gave it a 10 out of 10 when it came out. Rob Sheffield of Rolling Stones. on the This is on the 15th anniversary, 2015. Rob Sheffield from Rolling Stones said, Nobody admits now that they hated Kid A at the time. It's the same way Folkies never admitted they booed Dylan for going electric. Nobody wants to be the clod who didn't get it. And then I've got one other thing that I'm going to do for every review, and I am going to read an Amazon review. <laughs> and this is going to be the I love funnest part of every All single right. episode. Yes. This is a review written by uh, Carlos R. Pastrana, and I'm sorry it's it's long, but so buckle in because it's good. All right. One out of five stars. The Emperor Has No Clothes. And this was reviewed when it came out. This was reviewed October of 2000. First off, if you really want to listen to really accomplished and exceptional, complex and textured music, look elsewhere. Frank Zappa and the Mothers, Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band, The Residents, Ornette Coleman, Edgar Varese, you know, Igor Stravinsky, much better than Tom York and company. Why better? <laughs> Well, for starters, those artists were largely unappreciated and or under-commercialized at the time and henceforth were much more artistically pure and honest. 
Radiohead, for all their claims to the contrary, seem to love and that every time I'm doing that, it's actually in text. Like, I'm not just doing that. I'm not being an amazing actor. <laughs> no, this is this person seems to love being in the spotlight of the worldwide music media and seem to be constantly being driven to make music, which will get people to call like, duh, musical geniuses or something. This record has no substance, no originality, tired craftwork beats and Coleman light horn riffs, no original message to tell. What are they trying to state? That art and or music is ethereal or subjective or meaningless? Excuse me, I think Marcel Proust or James Joyce or Charles Bukowski or the Dataists, the Residents or Brian Eno said this way before and far better than platinum selling Radiohead. I used to adore Radiohead. I still think they're great musicians, but they peak when playing challenging layered rock and roll because they are a rock and roll band. I guess the moronization of Western culture is underway. <laughs> it, <laughs> it needs people to pigeonhole. Marilyn Manson is the rebel. Fred Durst is the spokesman for this generation. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and Radiohead are the musical visionaries. Meanwhile, the real, genuine, unhyped, untainted, and honest art is being made and has been made by people the top 40 TRL morons have never heard of. I pity Radiohead <laughs> for having become part of the Carson Daly posse. Okay. Is that the best oh review goodness. ever? Yeah, I, I think... Can you do better? <laughs> I mean... Might as well retire the segment because that doesn't I, yeah. it doesn't get any better I, that's, than that, right? That's, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So lyrics, and bef before we get into our first category, which is are the lyrics good, and is this lyricist a good writer? What are the best and worst lyrics? Uh, this is a really hard one, and you probably don't know this, but this is a true thing. He even said he did it. Tom took sentences little bits that he had been thinking of over the last couple of years and put them in a hat oh shit and pick them so the whole i think you're crazy maybe in motion picture soundtrack was picked out of a hat and sung it's got to work against him i would yeah. think because it's like dude but at the same time he still thought of those lines which i guess just leaves the point are they good or not so you answer first. Are these lyrics good, and what are the best and worst lyrics? Yes, I, I guess they're suiting. So in that respect, I feel like, yes, they are good because they fit the album. I don't I don't know. I could think of albums that are far more musical. I, they're, they're, they're brutal lyrics. They're definitely. They're really hard. I have a quote from Tom. This is, this is a quote. On Kid A, the lyrics are absolutely brutal and horrible, and I wouldn't be able to sing them straight. But talking them and having them vocorded through Johnny's own dones or a martinet so that I wasn't even responsible for the melody, that was great. It felt like you're not answering to this thing. So I think some of the parts where they were doing the digital stuff was just him saying, I don't even know how to do lyrics to this song. So let's just digitize it and call it a yeah. day. It's hard to judge lyrics on this because there's not a whole lot of poetry going on. Yeah. There's not a whole lot yeah. of writing. You have certain good lyrics. I like the big fish eats the little ones. Not my problem. Give me some. There's good lyrics. It's just not, there aren't 
any lyrics that punch you in yeah. the gut or that you're gonna remember forever. Yeah, I mean, that's why I say like the lyrics fit the album. Overwriting it probably would have made it horrible. So we'll, let's move on to the next one. We've got uh, I'm calling it the Rob Lowe Timeless Award because Rob Lowe is I think he's like 67. He looks like he's fucking 25. The, the the question here is what has aged best and worst about this album? Well, when it's a new album, we'll do what yeah. will age the best and worst. But is this timeless? And if so, what is it about it that makes it timeless? I'll I'll start because I've this we're doing classic albums. So this is almost a dumb question. I will say that I feel like this album could come out today. Yeah. Well, I honestly believe it'd probably be better received today. Yeah, than it was. No, you're in 2000. You're right. Yeah, which is which is funny because of all the people that said that they were biting off people. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree. We'll move on to the next one. I call this the Nevermind the Bullocks Award. Uh, this is the question, is this the band's best album? I named the award this because in my opinion, Nevermind the Bullocks is by far the Sex Pistols best album. It's not even a question and fight me on that. But it's it was never mind the Bullocks, and then five layers later, there's the Sex Pistols' next album, which is why I call this this. So, is this the band's best album? To me, it's not, but it's close. We we've already talked about that. For me, for you, I think I know the answer. But for you, what's what's your answer to this? I would also say no, it's not. I think I probably get stuck in. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm really leaning to OK Computer, but I I'm wondering if I'm leaning that way just because of its actual acclaim and success, commercial success that it had. So what I'll say is, there's for you, I think, and this is someday we'll do a dissecting Radiohead episode. Yeah. But I am pretty confident that there are a couple Radiohead albums that you are gonna flip out about. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe okay. that's just maybe that's just me being one of those Radiohead guys I was talking about. The, you know, you just don't get it. You don't get Tom York, but and I don't. Yeah, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't. And I haven't heard. And it. I want to. All right, the John Paul Jones Award, and I'm calling this the John Paul Jones Award because John Paul Jones to me was the epitome of a musician that would just hang in the. He made Led Zeppelin the best band in the world, and you know who nobody talks about. John Paul Jones. John Paul, yeah. John Paul Jones picked up anything, played anything, made the albums what they were for the most part. I'm not, t- t- please don't write me and say that, you know, I'm saying Jimmy Page sucks. Here, I, like, David Liston hot take, you know, Robert Plant's nothing compared to John <laughs> Paul Jones. That's not what I'm saying. Talentless. So, this is the John Paul Jones Award. If you could replace or you could add one musician on this album, would you do it and who would it be? And for me, it's nobody because of the story I told you, because this album became what it is because people were learning instruments and they were learning gear for the first time. If you put anybody in there that knew any of it, it's gone. That's my... I mean, I I hate to just be the guy that's just like, yeah, ditto, but... I can't disagree with that. I'm a really smart guy, Sven. So when you agree with me, (laughs) good. Great minds think alike. All right. So next award is the John Popper Award, which is for the best hook of the album. Do you get it? Because Blues Traveler hook. For me, I really liked the end of everything in its right place. There's this part where the synth switches style. But I'm going with 
in Optimistic, uh-huh. which is the song that's saying the best you can is good enough. When he's saying you can try the best you can, there is this bass scaling upwards plus the breakdowns in that song. But th- that bass scaling upwards when he's saying try the best you can is just unbelievable. And that's that's my favorite hook on this album. Got it. So similarly, I guess mine goes back to bass also. Different track, though. For me, it's National Anthem. And it's the most simplistic thing. But for me, it's the best hook because you know exactly what song it is. You know the artist. Like, you hear that fuzzy... And you're just talking about the very beginning, the doo-doo-doo. The very intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right away. Like, you hear that. There's certain things that you can just... You can hear the first, like, bar and you know what song it is. Yeah. There's songs like that. And for me, National Anthem, I think, takes it because of that. So this is the honorary because we're doing this the year that Eddie died. Yeah. So this is the Eddie Van Halen best riff slash solo award. Doesn't have to be guitar. This is the section for me is this little it's inoptimistic again to me musically that apparently that song's amazing because I keep going back to that. But there is this part where he's doing these muted notes on the guitar and the synths following it. Um, and you can go back and listen to it, but to me that it's, yeah. it's perfect. You yeah. can't really do anything better than that. I think, uh, I don't know that I have one because I think I took it too literally as far as like the Eddie Van Halen kind of thing. Are you bit, like thought it was an actual, I don't know. Like, there you wasn't wanted, like that <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, nothing like that really like jumped out because it would have not fit. That's in actually, this album. that's actually my John Paul Jones award is if Eddie Van Halen could have been on this album or no, even better. David, David Lee Roth. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you, you can just say there wasn't one there. Yeah. They're really, it's, it's allowed for me. This is our podcast friend. We make the rules. I, yeah. So we got the, uh, the next award is the surfer Rosa award. And I call it this because to me, the B side to Surfer Rosa is just freaking epic. So I call it the Surfer Rosa Award. Is this a B side album? Is this a top heavy album? This is one of those albums where after track four, you're like, eh, and to me, it's it's going to be an obvious answer because this is my classic album. But to me, it's it's excellent start to finish. I will say that when I got to listen to it with the vinyl. The transition happens in Tree Fingers, which is that non-lyrical kind of soundscape we already talked about. Uh-huh. So that transition into B into the B side is fantastic. I don't think it's a Surfer Rosa album because to me, track one is just as good as Motion Picture, but it's definitely not top heavy. What what do you think? Yeah, no, I I agree. I think for me, the entire album progresses right it's like it this is one of the pleasures of of taking on a podcast like this and getting to sit down and actually like pay attention to an entire album because i'm finding that like in this case it is like a start to finish there's not a cutoff point for me i i would say all right next award is the time of your life award and that's the worst song on the album and i'm naming it this because green day green day okay (laughs) completely ruin themselves which i don't that's not even the real song real name of the song the name of this uh good riddance right good riddance. thank you good job yeah but yeah that's (laughs) but 
that was the song that kind of single-handedly made me start seeing, oh, okay, maybe Green Day isn't a band that I love. I was young in age. But anyway, so this was the Time of Your Life Award, which is the worst song on the album. For me, it's Tree Fingers. It's just, it's not even that I hate it. It's just kind of what I was saying before, where it's it's the one song where if a radio ad hater says, dude, what? okay, so explain Tree Fingers to me. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think for me, it's it is the hardest one to explain. The lack of to me, the lack of clear time signature. There's a lot of things that just yeah, <laughs> it'd be hard. It's a hard track to sell for any, uh, to sell anyone else on. In some weird way, the title track kind of is like that. For, I can see a that a little bit for me. It's almost not even a song, Kid A. Yeah. Is what we're talking about right now. Yeah, Kid it's, A. It's this weird, Tom York's doing this thing with his voice to where it's almost synth talking. There's some weird like vocal. yeah. I don't know if it's a vocoder or something that's going on. I, I, maybe, can it be a tie? It's your podcast, can I man. Can I vote that it's a tie between those two tracks? Yeah, I, I, it's a tie. I, I can't break the tie. Okay, so we're getting towards the end of Kid A. We're going to do the uh, three best songs on the album uh-huh. with this. I knew my first favorite two, but three and four really, really hard for me. It's funny listening to you talk about it because I don't, I think maybe this is one of your lesser favorites, but Idiotech is, I, I love the song Idiotech. I love it. It's just so well-rounded, but in the end, number three, my third favorite is optimistic. There's just so many amazing parts to that song. There's so many amazing breakdowns. The ending is perfect. Number two is Motion Picture Soundtrack, which we've already talked about. Favorite songs on the last track is just a cool thing to yeah. have on an album. Yeah. But then number one for me, National Anthem. And I, I almost okay. feel bad picking it because it's so much. It almost feels like it's doing a disservice yeah. to Kid A picking picking National Anthem, which was really the most just rock song on this but it, it it i just i could listen to national anthem every day and and love it yeah. so those are those are my top three uh what are your top threes so we yeah uh, i already picked my favorite right as motion picture yeah so soundtrack. motion picture is your number so one we, we close with with my favorite weirdly number two for me is everything in its right place yeah, opening it up Not, I, oh, this is like, i guess it's nice. bookending it you know the the starting and the end like to me are so perfect like they picked the right thing to start with and then they closed with the right thing everything in its right place i think i already said it earlier but i really love the chords that that he chose at the very beginning and then following that up this one's kind of hard because it's it's between the two most rock or like old school radiohead like optimistic and national anthem for me it's between Mm. those two i think i'm going optimistic just a little bit i think because the percussion on it yeah just some something about that that beat that kind of like syncopated i just like it a little bit more but it's between those two for number three for me we ended up very similar on that similar on that album so so last award is who won the album and it can be anything. It can be a producer. It can be a specific genre of people. It can be a, a band member. To me, I am going for all the band members that aren't Tom York. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I get the distinct feeling that Tom York was the one that said, 
Do not bring your basses. Do not bring your drum kits. Do not bring this and that. And just left his band members to be like, if there's no drums on this song, like what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. And instead of the band members saying, dude, you're fuck this, go do your John. Go Lennon do a solo album. <laughs> so I'm, I'm giving who on the album to everybody in the band, but Tom York, dude, what, what about you? That is, I'm going the exact opposite. I'm going <laughs> to like say Tom, like Tom York only because he found a way you think about Tom's voice. Like it does one thing really. And this is I'm gonna get crucified again. No, Radiohead people, you're right. You're come you're shoot. Totally don't right. don't come shoot me. But <laughs> Tom York, his voice is very unique. It, it kind of it does this one thing, yeah. right? When Tom York's gonna sing, you know what to expect. So how he fit, how he found a way to sit his vocals into everything else that was going on. I'm 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 guessing he's in the driver's seat for a lot of this. So. Maybe it's not as hard as I'm thinking it was for him. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, Tom York for me is the one thing that that was the consistent. It would it's what made this to me a Radiohead album. Good. So we got that. We've got one last thing to do, and that is to rate the album. So Sven, what did you rate this album? And I I want to say beforehand, we have not given any rating system. We have no. He, this man can currently say anything he wants. So, Sven, what did you rate the album Kid A by Radiohead? Oh, my God. Well, if if there is no rating system in place, then it's like a five out of seven. Very perfect. I like it. Just keep it like that. Me, personally, I'm giving it nine out of ten sleeping pills. There you go. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. Because there are parts of this that I, I don't love. And to, if it's perfect, it's got to be perfect. Yeah. So that's Kid A. We did, we did an album. I can't believe it. Look at us. The first one. All right. Why don't we take a break and we will get into album number two. So we're, we're back. For this episode, I gave David... Stevie Wonder's talking book. This was awesome. I'm so glad that I got oh, to do a Stevie Wonder I'm album. I'm so excited I for this. Stevie Wonder for a long time, but I've never, definitely never really gotten into talking book with the exception of that song that obviously we'll talk about. So this Stevie Wonder review, I have titled Stevie Wonder's Toe Tip. Subtitle, Stevie Wonder is a damn legend. Sven, why don't you go ahead and guess what my favorite song on this album is? Because I was debating fairly heavily in my own head. This is not an easy album to pick a favorite song on, man. I'm I'm noticing a pattern here. Bookends. (laughs) Bookends. I don't know. Maybe it's because of me. Maybe I'm putting, I'm projecting my own. You're doing exactly what I did. It came down to the, the... Sunshine of My Life as the starting track, and then I believe as the end. And maybe it's because this is where I land. All right. The very last track. He's picking I believe. I believe. Well, let's see. So let's, yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's test your Stevie Wonder knowledge here. Guess which number album this is for Stevie Wonder. Studio album. Oh, God. Dude, the guy started when he was a kid. I mean, he had to put out a ton before this. I don't know. It, it was his 15th fucking album. Yeah, I was, it's, it's double 15. digits for sure. It's well into it. 
I can see that because like he started. I mean, I know people released a lot of stuff back then. Yeah. But good God! So before I get into my review, you tell me about Stevie. Did you? Okay. Have you always liked Stevie? How did you? Do you know how you heard about oh, yeah. him? Oh, was it fuck. a parent the thing? First, the first Stevie Wonder song I ever heard, and I would sing this song all the time. And I was in diapers still. It was um, I just called. So I just called to say. Oh, no, you don't have to sing it to me. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I that know. one, right? right? And and apparently, as a kid, when they get to the line, from the bottom of my heart, I would slap my own ass. <laughs> so this is a weird generational part of Stevie Wonder for people like us. Because to me, we grew up around the I just called to say I love you Stevie Wonder which it's like cheesy sappy whatever it's 80s pop and I'll yes and I will go I'll go back to High Fidelity and I don't know if you've seen that but they have a whole section in that movie where Jack Black is talking about how I just called to say I love you did it completely taint the entire reputation of Stevie Wonder because of the the 80s crap that he was coming out with. So our generation had this really weird relationship with Stevie Wonder where it was almost a musically respected thing if you knew, dude, Stevie Wonder is actually If you knew old school Stevie? That meant that you were musically inclined. If you knew that Stevie Wonder was not... I just called to say I love you. Stevie Wonder was superstition. Totally. This was one of the first examples of me learning that a musician could come out with amazing stuff and crap. And you could still be totally cool with it. It, it, Music's still a business. Stevie had some hits, but you still got to put something out that's going to compete with whatever's on the radio. Let me go through the facts about this album Peaked at number three uh-huh. on the billboards, which I love because it's it's such a hindsight 2020, what were you thinking picking these things? And and this is another hate mail thing that we'll get. But number two on this was The World is a Ghetto by War, which War is great. Nothing wrong with War. But nowadays, like comparing Stevie Wonder to War, no. And then number one was No Secrets by Carly Simon, which even more, please don't send the hate mail but comparing Carly Simon to Stevie Wonder is, is silly. It was on the billboards in 1973. It spent 109 weeks on the charts. And it's just funny how albums change with time because it's fun. like the Carly Simon album is good. It had You're So Vain and Angels of Montgomery. But is that is that number one over Stevie Wonder? You know, he wrote a lot of this album with his wife, Sarita which is whatever. I'm going to talk about that later. This was ranked number seven on Rolling Stone's best 1972 albums, which I don't really get. Number one is Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Number two is Elvis. Elvis is a whole other episode we can get into whether Elvis deserves to be anywhere near Aretha Franklin or Stevie Wonder. He doesn't. And then I love that. that. (laughs) But there are other bit like 72 was Elton. uh, Ziggy Stardust came out in 72. Like 72 was a yeah. And then we'll uh, real quick. I want to go over the guests that were on this album. Jeff Beck was on this album from the Yardbirds, which the Yardbirds were going to have to have an episode about Ray Parker Jr., who played a lot for Barry White and Ray Parker Jr., who guested on this album. I have to ask you, he had one number one hit. Uh, do you have any idea what song that was? Oh, fuck. 
I'm I'm going to give you a hint. If there's if there's something really really strange in your neighborhood, who would you oh call? Oh my god, the ghost! Bu- oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Ghostbusters theme yeah, song guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then Dave Sanborn was on that album who Dave Sanborn was on that album. Who's kind of like King of saxophone, smooth jazz. So I don't know if we like him or hate him. Yeah, he was great. Saxophone, smooth jazz was awesome until that guy, Kenny, what's his face came around. Kenny K. Uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another cool thing about this album is that this album was recorded under Motown. And Stevie Wonder had been with Motown for a long time and then he left and he did two solo albums and Barry Gordy, who who was the head Mm -hmm. of Motown, kind of begged him to come back. And Stevie said, look, I'll come back, but I'm making my own albums now. And Barry Gordy was like, yeah, cool, whatever. And that's when Wonder went off on this freaking classic i mean yeah. we could we could this, like this the is a four straight theme, albums though it's like this is a common storyline yes for Motown yes artists right it's true you but you look at he came out with talking book and he does inner visions and he does fulfilling this first final song and then of course key of life which someday we'll talk about but key of life is a magnum opus probably a worldwide agreed at the very least top 20 albums of all time he just went on this absurd streak of insane albums. I mean, can you think of another artist that has come out with that many good albums? Maybe not a solo. Consecutively? Not a solo art- artist. I no. Mean, like maybe Beatles the Beatles? Have, have done some. Yeah. But this is, you're talking about like one man that was responsible for that much music. Like, it's insane. But, it really is. Yeah. Studying this album made me realize just how important Stevie Wonder is to music. Oh, yeah. I love this album because this is when he kind of started to get away from the 50s, 60s thought of just love songs, which honestly, I am not a ballad guy. They just don't do it for yeah. me. I, if I was a better man, I'd probably like them more. But this is when he kind of started to get into political stuff and funk and because of his thing, because of his whole thing with Motown, he got to do his own thing. For sure. I think this album lost a lot of thunder just because he came out with so much good stuff because inner visions came out right after this and songs, the key of life was two albums later. So I'm glad you gave it to me because I feel like this got lost in the shuffle for I, sure. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent agree. I feel like this album usually gets summarized in one track. You, Yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's so many gems on this one, but. All right. So we'll, we'll get into the tracks now. You are the sunshine of my life. When I first listened to it kind of didn't do it for me. It was a little plain and ballady, but then as I got through and I kept listening, when I sat down with the vinyl mm-hmm. and a whiskey, and I really listened, it is not playing anything. It's this bossa nova-y jazz. It's yeah. it just hiding behind 70s pop. It's really cool. And it, that was one of the times where I really noticed how excited I was for this project that we're doing because just sitting there and listening to this album made me realize like, oh shit, this song is not at all some simple ballady you are the sunshine no 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 no. this is like a heavy jazz song and the drums in it good god the drums are amazing in that song yeah and this is something like you could probably apply to the whole album like there's 
I'm going to call it like a dirty quality. There's a certain kind of grit that even on the, the light ballady things, there's a certain amount of grit that brings like, it, there's, I can't put my finger on what exactly he does to create it. It's like this sand in your swimsuit kind of thing that goes on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and I'll tell you, when I first started listening to this, I did. I initially put this album into three separate categories. I put it into the cool songs and then the ballady whatever songs and then the what the hell songs. But, you know, the the more I listened to this, it was I even though I originally thought that it was this jazz blues songs and there was and then I'd get bored really fast with the ballads. And unfortunately, that's just a lot of Stevie. Stevie loves ballads. He loves singing about love, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's just not my jam. But I will tell you that for a guy that doesn't like ballads, there are a couple ballads on this album that I really, really like. Maybe Your Baby is such a old school Mississippi blues my baby left me thing hidden behind the seventies funk. And I don't even know if that's a really cool way to describe it. The the keyboard that he's working with, if he didn't create it, somebody needs to tell me who did because I go, I can't go back and find anybody that was doing this shit with a keyboard that he, that he's he's doing before him it's he does the same thing at the end of i believe mm-hmm. he's it's just this it just sticks yeah. with you it just sticks right to your ribs it's amazing this and this starts off there's this thing that this album does that gospel rock yes. does and you know me i'm not a big gospel rock guy but what they do get right is when they find a hook that is good they hammer the shit, the out, shit of it, yes. out of it yeah. <laughs> exactly they punch you over and over in the nose with that thing so when they're at the end when they're doing the maybe your baby done and made some other plans over and over. you could just let them play it sing it for five minutes yeah. and you'd be in i'm totally in there are other songs that do this as well tuesday heartbreak is another one of the lighter funkier songs and tuesday heartbreak is Honestly, Tuesday Heartbreak is when I enjoy this album the most. I kind of wish this song was track three, because, and that's my little ballad annoying thing, but I can see where he was kind of trying to split up the styles of song. But Tuesday Heartbreak is just this straight funk, but you can totally hear all the jazz that built him as a musician. It's a complete jazz song, but... The the funk is at the very front of the palette and the backup singers have this Prince thing going on, yeah. which and Prince has even said that Stevie Wonder is his oh, God. influence. They, they've got the wah pedal going on and the hi hats just kicking full. It's just such an, a 70s funk. Yeah. And I love that. Honestly, I tried to achieve that so much when I when I played like jazz stuff and jazz band whenever we get a funk chart it never sounded that that funky honestly steve stevie wonder like it's weird there's so many good funk artists out there and there's so many things but stevie wonder even though like i i think most people pigeonhole him as like more pop mainstream than like straight out funk right but it all over it's sprinkled all over this album, even just like keyboard sounds. There's stuff that's like you invented that sound. Yeah. And all these funk bands just regurgitated it. Anyway, this this is where he kind of got to 
invent some things. Absolutely. It, and then he has this third category, and I'm I'm just calling it the category I can't figure out. They're not all like this, but the first mm-hmm. one is you've got a bad girl. <laughs> I don't really like it. If I was in a club mm-hmm. in like Kansas City, and some four man band came in and played that in some smoky dive jazz club, I'm sure I'd like it. But I don't love the flute. I don't like the fake horn sounds on yeah. it. I don't love. Yeah. That song. I mean, I can see that. Yeah, I never understand when an artist this huge doesn't put real horns on the record. <laughs> but yeah, and then when I first listened to this album, I put "Looking for Another Pure Love" in this section too. Uh-huh. But when I got the vinyl and I sat down and I listened to it, that was one of the songs that at first it felt flat to me. But when I sat down with it and I listened to it, I did start to see what he was trying to do. And I did the same thing with Blame It on the Sun. Both those tracks really, really grew on me when it came to just sitting down, having a drink and just listening to it. I don't know if it's because of the environment. I don't know if it's because you're really honed in on the specific instruments and the specific timestamps, but... It just gets automatically gets three times better. And then you start to see that Stevie Wonder does these things. It's such a basic, it's like a GDE chord progression. And then all of a sudden he throws B minor, Mm -hmm. F7 major. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, jazz. And it completely changes the entire DNA of, of what he's doing. And it really speaks to... The jazz lover in me. Right. He made jazz okay to be mainstream? Yes. He's one of those. I shouldn't say it's just him. Yeah. Popular. Once he got to like Songs of the Key of Life and he was doing Sir Duke and Village Ghetto Land and stuff. Oh, yeah. It w- yeah, you're absolutely right. I-, I have to talk about Superstition when we go into the really, really good. I'll, t- I'll tell you right it's off been the like bat. The un- un- I know, the track. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you right off the bat, this song isn't even in my top three. Really? Not even top three? No. Nope. Probably because I've already heard it 200 times. So real quick, I'm going to give a couple facts about this song just because it's superstition. It's one of the most famous songs of yeah. all time. Real quick, I'm going to get that over with. He came up with it while he was touring with the Stones. He was just dinking around on the drum set one day and he came up with the drum beat. And that's that's where this song came from. He originally wanted to give it to Jeff Beck from the Yardbirds, who was already a guest on this album. And Barry Gordy, Jeff Beck himself, were like, no, 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 no. This you do this. Trust me. Just do it. And this the clavinet that yes. he plays on this is there are very few people that have basically trademarked a sound. Yes. And he did that here. And he did that by taking this massive, massive synth called a Tonto, which had they had their own band of this like room size synth. synth. And Stevie Wonder was obsessed with it and had them help with this. And that's where this whole song came from. I mean, it became what it is. It's superstition. It's, you know, everybody knows this song. In a way, I kind of hate that everyone knows this song because it feels like sometimes that makes it less credible you know in, in certain ways it's just it's just another one of those yeah everybody knows it it's just another it's a pop yeah. bad or something but honestly like it's it paved a lot of the way for a lot of a lot of cool things to happen 
production wise and a lot of things to happen with synth sounds and things like absolutely. that. absolutely that's still one of the songs that to to this day like when i just need to blow off some steam and play some drums i'll throw that track on and just drum along to it nice and, it, and it's interesting that you point out that he was dinking around on the drum set there's something about that four on the floor just like this on the one and it just feels good yeah 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 absolutely the b side of this vinyl hmm he does superstition and then he goes into big brother. If I had bought this album back then and I heard this song come on this album, I like, where the hell did this come from? It's this total folksy, edgy vocal mm-hmm. Dylan-y complete left turn political song in a sea of love. Right. Stuff. It almost doesn't even fit on the album. It's like he's giving you a glimpse into Key of Life before he does yeah, Key of Life. Yeah, I get that. That's a good way to put that, yeah. He does Big Brother, and then he gets into... Actually, that's all... The, I went through all the songs. Uh, the only one that I haven't gone through is the ending track, which is the ballad exception to my rule, I believe... Which I'll just tell you right now, Sven, this is my favorite Stevie Wonder song. I don't know if it's because of the whole High Fidelity thing. I know Mm -hmm. I had heard the song before High Fidelity. There's nothing super special about it beyond the hook. Saying beyond the hook when that's one of the best hooks I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's a perfect song. I could listen to it once a day and not get sick of it. And that's... I believe. So hey. you win. You win a free, Woo. I don't know. You win a beer, man. <laughs> Album cohesiveness is important. Yeah. At length, song placement. And this is a reminder of how much care yeah. people took into this back in the day. He knew how to put an album together. I really like the fact that both of these albums, there's something about it that makes me really happy that both of these albums last track. Yes. Are these just beautiful, Absolutely. brilliant pieces I of thought work. That was it's so rare. Yeah. That's my Stevie Wonder review. Let's do the categories. I'm going to get into the reviews. I have an Amazon one and I have a Rolling Stone one. The weird review is from Rolling Stone. Altogether, an exceptional, exciting album. The work of a now quite mature genius. And with Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, Sly's There's a Riot Going On, and Wonder's Own Music of My Mind, one of the most impressive recent records from a black popular performer. Wow. Also, it might be noted, one of Motown's handsomest covers, Braille and All. Yeah. They're, they're really laying into the blind black guy thing, That's aren't really they? good for a blind black dude. Yeah. I'm... Good job, man. All right. That's Rolling Stones. And then this is the, uh, this is the Amazon review by Arian. Superstition reviewed... 2014. Oh, boy. I bought the CD for one song, Superstition. Otherwise, I wouldn't have bought it. I was waiting for the price to go down because I don't like paying a lot for one track. That's the review. That's it. Wow. There's going to be one they know. It's Superstition. All right. So are the lyrics good? Is the lyricist a good writer? What are the best and worst lyrics for the most part on this album? The lyrics aren't anything super special. It's very 70s love ballady. But then he does Big Brother. 
I live in the ghetto. You just come visit me around election t- election time. Right. It's so weird because it's all this love stuff. And then all of a sudden Big Brother comes on. Political. And, oh, shit. He's a warrior poet. Yeah. How unique is it? It's Stevie Wonder. It's it's all the uniqueness. It's the funk jazz hybrid that only Stevie Wonder can do. So I don't really think there's that much of a question on it too. And I think the influences and influencers on this are obvious to where we don't even really have to get into it. I know Sam Cooks and Ray Charles are the influences and influences is every There's a lot. artist. Holy crap. Uh, Rob Lowe Timeless Award. So the Rob Lowe Award is this timeless. That's classic album day. We can't even, yeah, of course yeah. it's timeless. It's the only thing that to me aged bad is the fact that all these songs about how crazy and love he is are written with his wife that he divorced 10 months yeah, later. So yeah. <laughs> not sure how well you <laughs> did on that one, Stevie, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Insert new name. The uh, Nevermind the Bullocks Award. Is this his best album? No. It's not. And this is this speaks to Stevie Wonder's prowess. Is I don't even know if it's his third or fourth best album. So... What does that tell you yeah, about Stevie I think it was Wonder? a transitional album. John Paul Jones Award, replacing yeah. the musician or giving another musician. I maybe would have liked to see him with a real hip-hop guy, Rapper's like Delight old school. Oh, okay. sort of thing for him to be able to, which whatever original rap was, we won't, that's a whole other episode. We won't get into that right now. But he was so obsessed with the techno stuff and finding the right sounds that I th- part of me thinks that maybe if he would have had somebody help him find those sounds that he would have even done more, more yeah. on this. I don't I know. See that. John Popper award for best hook to me. It's, I believe I'll say maybe your baby is way up there, uh-huh. but I believe when I, when he's doing that over yeah. and over at the end, it's right. who's, right. who's going to beat yeah, that. I'm, I'm right there with you. Eddie Van Halen award for best riff. It's superstition, right? I'm, like, yeah. do you have another one? No, it, ha- it has to be. The Surfer Rosa Award is it a top heavy album's B-side. For me, this is completely a Surfer Rosa album. The second half of this album is when it really starts to kick ass. If I had to choose only listening to one every day, it'd be side B. I really want to disagree with you. Like I'm trying every way possible <laughs> in my head to justify, but when I think about play count, where do I start the record when I throw it on my record player? And I do. I start side two. Time of Your Life Award. I know the song now is called Good Riddance. I'm just going to keep calling it Time of Your Life Award. Yeah. The only song that I don't really like is You've Got a Bad Girl. I can kind of, I can understand that, I suppose. I think I, I would, is, I, I could see myself losing that song off this album, but God, I don't know. For me, I feel like after Big Brother, what's the song that comes right after Big Brother? Probably Blame It on the Sun. I think just because of the song it follows. It's not a bad song. It's understandable. It's not a bad song at all. I thought we were going in one direction and then we're not anymore. It cools it off a bit. Yeah. All right, three best songs on the album, and they have to be ranked. So my three best songs, and this one was actually pretty easy for me. I had it all lined up in my pocket number three is big brother Uh number two is tuesday heartbreak which is really when i feel like this album is just clicking and then number one with a bullet homage to high fidelity is uh i believe that one i think 
tops it for me. I don't know if we're counting backwards. That one's my number one. Um, second would be Superstition. And then Sunshine of My Life. Oh, wow. I don't know. It just feels very, it's cozy and comforting for me. All right. So let's end it. Sven, what, what do you rate this album? All right. I'm going to continue with my scale of seven because I like it seemed to work awesome for kid a uh, I think I gave that one a five out of seven this one I'm gonna go I'm gonna bump it's still not a perfect album I almost give it a tie but I'm gonna go one more and six out of seven um all just right because one upper you think you're better than me yeah well I'm just okay it's Stevie Wonder I'm giving it nine out of ten pairs of sunglasses it's it just lays the groundwork for everything that's about to come fantastic album amazing and that's Talking Book and Kid A. That's Damn. episode one. Damn. We done did it, bro. <laughs> no, honestly, this has been a blast, man. It this has. This has been a blast. Yeah. This has been a pleasure, man. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Come to the website, versecoursevers.com, and sign up. You'll get notifications. Keep us popular so that we get to stay doing this stuff be back for episode two where i gave sven what i would call modern day living color and then Mm -hmm. sven gave me the hipsteriest band i love it ever to go with my new mustache yeah Yeah. versecoursverse.com bro (laughs) oh wow